You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Make It British podcast. This week, we held a webinar with Corny Digital and Gerber Technology, all about how we can future-proof the UK textile industry. So I thought it'd be a really good idea to upload it here as a podcast. So if you missed it, you can catch up on it. There's also a video version too, and I'll put the link for that in the show notes for this episode, along with a link to the funding that we talked about, and also more details about how you can find out about the next one of these webinars that's taking place very soon, along with our virtual Make It British Live online event, which is happening at the end of September. So it's a long episode, but it's well worth listening to because there's some really important topics that are covered here and some really exciting things going on in the UK textile industry. Enjoy. Hello, and thank you very much for joining me for this live panel discussion today about how we can future-proof the UK textile industry. This is the first one of these events that we're going to be doing. There's going to be a series of events. I'm going to be telling you more about the others at the end. So please make sure you stick around so you can find out more about that. We are taking questions and answers, but that will be at the end. So if you have a question, pop it in the live chat. Start it with a big capital Q so that we can see it's a question rather than just a comment or a hello. So pop any questions you've got in the chat. And if it's for a particular panelist, then please also say if that is the case and we can I can make sure I ask the right panelist for you. Um, as I said before, I've got Emily and Michelle from the Make It British team who are manning the chat for us today. Um, if you are in the chat, please keep it on topic. Uh, and I kindly ask you not to use the chat to promote or solicit for business. So networking here is good, but just blatant promotion of your services is not. So please, thank you everyone for sticking to those rules. Um, we are also recording this as a live version of the Make It British podcast, which will be going out very soon. So if you want to be notified about when that podcast goes out, then please wait till the end. We've got a survey that's going out to everyone. I'd be really pleased if you can fill that survey in. And part of that survey, it will ask you if you want a notification when the recording of this goes out and also whether you want to hear from our lovely panellists here in the future. So um, the idea for this webinar first came about when Scott and I met at a printing conference last year and Cornette were there talking about their print-on-demand technology. And to me, the print or make on demand model seemed to perfectly align with what we're all about here at Make It British and about local manufacturing. That here in the UK, we can produce unique, bespoke quality products with a fast turnaround, giving the customer exactly what they want, when they want it, reducing waste and avoiding having to put tons of mass produced items uh, that no one wants into markdown or even worse, in the bin. 
So that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to now introduce you to my wonderful panellists here. So first, we've got Scott Walton from Corny Digital. So a little bit about Corny. It was the Corny Digital was founded in 2002 with a bold vision to transform fashion's traditional supply chain and its detrimental and unsustainable impact on the environment. Corny's single-step, zero-waste, on-demand printing technologies and eco-friendly, chemical-free inks provide the textile industry with a way to reverse and reverse the traditional supply and demand model into a demand first supply after solution. So Scott Walton joined Corny Digital uh, last year in April 2019 as their director fabric sales specialist. Scott is a passionate sustainability advocate driving ethical and sustainable transformation in fashion and textile manufacturing through digital integration. Scott has over 20 years experience in the industry, a large part of which has been specialising in dye sublimation technology and more recently, digital pigment technologies. As a technical sales expert, Scott has acquired vast and vast and in-depth knowledge and experience of both the conventional analogue and converging digital printing industries. So welcome, Scott. Uh, and then I have Richard Jessup here from Gerber Technology. So for half a century, Gerber Technology has been helping companies around the world develop, manufacture and manufacture and take their products to market smarter, faster and more efficiently. Today, the company provides integrated software and hardware solutions to customers in many industries, including furniture, fashion and apparel and technical textiles. Gerber Technologies' leading-edge systems help to maximise productivity and minimise errors and waste. Richard Jessup is a sales director at Gerber Technology, and Richard has over 20 years' experience of both enterprise-level software and technology-based capital goods. Over the last, last five years, he has developed knowledge and a passion for manufacturing in the textile industry, understanding the challenges faced and driving change to overcome these. So welcome, Richard. Thank you Thank both you. of you for joining me today. You're welcome. So um, just before we start, I also want to say, um, if for any reason we have any technical issues here and our Wi-Fi drops out, everyone that's listening in, please just rejoin the link and we'll come back on. But hopefully that won't happen. Right, so thank you for joining me both today, chaps. Um, the first question I want to pose is, how do you think the industry has changed since you're involved in textiles? And I'll ask that to Richard first. How do you think the industry's changed, Richard? Okay, well, um, I've been involved in textiles for about the last five years, so it's maybe not the same, the same duration as Scott. But I think, you know, if we look at what has changed, you know, the... Uh, the, the, the industry has gone through dramatic change. It used to be the case that everyone used to, you just used to go out to the shops and buy things. So let's look at it from the, in the face of the consumer, really, rather than the industry as a whole. Um, the consumer now is, is more empowered. Um, the way that they buy and they, the way that they acquire um, goods, um, be that garments or other, other, other textile goods, has dramatically changed. If we look at the, the invent of online and what that's done for the industry, it now means that, uh, that, that we, we are already embracing some digital technologies. Um, and and that's, you know, that, that we see at the front end, but not necessarily at the back end of the process right now. 
So, um, you know, we, we buy things online and, um, and then we push them into factories that are still um, mass producing in, in many cases. Yeah. Um, and that's what we think perhaps needs to change. But, you know, we'll talk about that a little, more, a little bit more detail later. How about you, Scott? I mean, you've been in the industry a long time. How, for you, how's it changed? I mean, I think since the start of the UK sort of farming out most of production, you know, um, and other Western European countries, you know, to Southeast Asia, you know, back in the 80s, um, you know, the, the consumption has just dramatically increased. Um, and I think over the last 20 years, for sure, you know, we've, we've increased sort of 400% in our consumption of textiles. Um, and looking at the sort of former colonial way of doing it, you know, the UK went to Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, you know, China via Hong Kong and North Africa, et cetera, for the French. And, you know, it's almost as though that, that thing, all of that was offshored. And, you know, the general fast fashion model has been the catalyst, really, with the increasingly accelerated consumption, you know, both provoke and feed each other. So I agree with Richard, you know, the, the time and cost scenario where both are the largest differentiators. And then coupled with the fragmented supply chains, you know, having production on the other side of the world, you know, the time to market is just uh, is increasingly difficult for the brands to manage with all of that cash being tied up in frozen stock, um, you know, and the, and the longer lead time. So I think, you know, like the other industries out there from, you know, the, the, the book industry to the music industry, we're looking at very much a front end of a digital transformation, but also we need the back end to catch up. Yeah. Um, that's really where we're going to, you know, look at moving forward and innovating in the industry. Do you think that the UK... I mean, where do we stand compared to other countries? Both of you work extensively. I mean, Gerber's an American company and, and Corny, you know, you work a lot in Europe as well. Where do we stand compared particularly to other Western countries like the US and, and Europe when it comes to sourcing locally rather than overseas? Richard? I think, well, let's look at Europe first, um, because I think the US is, is, is similar, but maybe a little bit more advanced than we are. But, but in Europe, we have companies like Inditex, for example, you know, um, the owners of Zara, and, and they already have a model um, where, uh, where they manufacture close, close to the point of sale as best they possibly can. Mm. Um, and that seems to work for them. Um, you know, it's, in actual fact, Inditex is one of our largest customers, so we know them really well. And, and they've, they've, they've adopt, adopted this, this, uh, this methodology where, you know, they, they, they make and, and buy in the same place or they, the consumer buys in the same place that it's made. And it, it, it's very different to what we're doing today. Um, and, you know, because they've managed to master that, I see no reason why that couldn't be done in the UK. Um, yeah, I think, sorry, I'm saying, uh, I mean, that's a great example with, with Inditex because they're a highly profitable company, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think, you know, again, going back to the consumer a little bit, you know, it matters It matters to the consumer now to be made locally or it's becoming more important yeah. to the consumer, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a bit of a shout out, okay? Make it British, you know, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But, 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 but I see similar parallels all over the world, you know, making made in the USA yeah. is, you know, is something that, um, that we hear over in the States. So it's, it's, really, it's, it's really different and really important. Brilliant. What do you think, Scott? Do you, how, do, how do we compare? Totally agree with Richard. I think we're at a huge inflection point right now where there's a huge opportunity for the brands to mobilise locally, you know, and vertically integrate manufacturing. And Zara is, is a perfect example of that. You know, they, they partially reshored 
many many years ago um and 50 percent of their su supply chain is actually near shore you know whether it be spain portugal italy north africa turkey it's still very much closer to home um and i think that transformation has, has been accelerated through digital platforms you know that that really has enabled them to get uh, automation workflow coupled with that you know it means that they're getting closer to the customer they're able to put things in stores which have let's say the demand of only being available for a very short space in time so you know you have that that consumer behavior that drives drives those sales and ultimately because there's not a huge overstocking element to that sort of business or manufacturing model it means that you know not, those aren't getting discounted heavily they're not getting put into landfill and ultimately the profit of that is uh, is just substantially more so you know those models do work and i think we we could certainly look at integrating similar things and I, i'm sure brands are already starting to do so in the uk when it comes to those other countries um i mean you've mentioned spain and portugal there what's the difference in terms of i mean have they had government investment in countries like that or you know why why are we why are we behind in that respect uh, take take portugal as an example um you know every year every year they have access to EU funds. And, and when the EU funds are issued, you know, we as a business see, see a large influx of orders from Portugal. And, and um, you know, it allows businesses really to, to, um, to have the latest technologies to allow them to compete. Um, so these are often in the form of some kind of grant funding um, or sometimes, sometimes really cost-effective loans. Um, and um, you know th th it really allows these businesses to to be ahead of the game, um, really to to um, invest in digital, um, to um, to to improve and and to reduce the cost of sale. So we need government investment here, then, don't we? We do, we do, and I, yeah. and I hear it, I hear it many many places from people around the industry. Um, you know, it's just the government needs to wake up a little bit to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts? On that, Scott. Uh, from a vision perspective, I, I think we're slightly maybe behind, you know, certain other markets from that point of view. Um, you know, I, I think brands need to see and almost touch and, you know, understand that the capabilities and the benefits of local supply, um, you know, give, given fashion capital in London, you know, Jenny and the team down there is, is proof that a circular manufacturing ecosystem is possible in the UK yeah. to, go to retail and um and, and leading brands, you know, um, and I think again the example of Zara having the proximity production, um, you know, enables us. We do have production here. Let's not forget about that. It's um, you know the work in manufacturing pr production is around ten billion, you know, Great British pounds worth of production. It is, yeah, places. exactly. So yeah, it's substantial, and it and it means that we probably could mobilise, um, with, with leading on, leveraging that automation and that workflow. Um, systems we could we could mobilize that a lot faster um, and manufacturing the UK but ultimately yes it, it, and I think the government is is open and I think they are moving towards that as we've seen very recently with some new incentives out there yeah well, well I, actually there is a, a current uh, innovation um, grant available and I will cover that when we get to the end definitely because I think a lot of people here would like to hear about that because I agree we can't we can't move forward if we don't have funding for the industry and people understanding the industry and certainly one thing i noticed um when i was helping well when i you know when with the ppe situation that we had recently where you know local manufacturers stepped forward to make ppe um 
you know, that had a big effect on the industry, how everyone mobilised together. And Ger Richard, I know Gerber were heavily involved in yeah, that, we, weren't we, they? Yeah, how do you we, think we, that's going to change? How do you think COVID is going to change the industry? Well, I think um, massive positives and massive negatives, actually, you know. Um, number one, people stopped going out to the shops to buy things, right? So that was the negative, right? But but actually, what, the big positives that came out of it was was that the manufacturers that are in the UK really stepped up. Um, one of the initiatives that we had was to try and connect people. And um, it was clear to us that, um, you know, supply and demand weren't really connected at all. Um, and, and the people that, that are, the companies that, that made the big wins from, from the COVID situation were those that um, went out to find out um, where they could win the work from. So to connected with the uh, with the, the local um, health health authorities and so on, in order to bring business together. And actually, there was a lot of entre entrepreneurial spirit that's come off the back of, um, yeah. of COVID. You know, we have these collaborations of people. You know, the small businesses that are all joining together to be a, a much bigger collaboration, um, and and it's it's really had a dramatic effect. Um, Hopefully it will be here to stay. Um, you know, it, I think we have to hope that the the UK government doesn't go back to the old the old ways. You know, the old ways of sourcing overseas in in bulk, um, because what we found was we just weren't ready. I mean, I think everybody knows that, right? And um, so um, if we've got manufacturers on board that can make the stuff, then then it can be really you know a really positive uh, way to move our business forward um, and and to change the way we're working today. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree that what I have noticed much more um, as a result of us all going through this terrible COVID situation is that more people are working together and coming together and collaborating. And it's shown a really positive side, particularly to the UK textile industry and what we really can do. I think it's quite frustrating that the government <coughs> don't always acknowledge that our industry exists and because it's made up of so many micro businesses rather than just a few big businesses like they used to for instance in the car manufacturing industry um, but I certainly think it has brought everyone together there was obviously issues um, at the beginning when a lot of retailers cancelled orders and that had a big impact Scott I mean what what are your thoughts on how Covid has affected both good and bad yeah, and I think everyone's heard those those awful stories and uh, stories, factual stories, you know, from Bangladesh and India, etc. And I, I think it exposed the industry and the broken aspects of the industry, you know, laid bare. Um, the impact from from you know from our perspective, I think, is 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 the great accelerator, you know, where adversity drives the opportunity. And coming out of this is is really where we are now as a pivot. Um, and you can see that in the in the form of, of where things are moving towards e-commerce, you know, an on-demand model where Shopify is, you know, their share pricing has gone through the roof with, with the accumulation of new brands wanting to go um, online and drive e-commerce business. Um, and I think from the UK's point of view, with the brands now looking to future-proof operations, you know, to get closer attuned to the, the consumers themselves, you know, this is just highlighted exactly, you know, for the very reasons that we're discussing, why we need to have more transparency and we need to future-proof yeah. um, and bring things back to the UK, you know, if not completely reversal, obviously, things aren't going to change 100%. But if we could have more of a partial reshoring element to it, that we've discussed, I think that ultimately does go a long way to future-proof things. Um, mm. The initiatives 
demonstrated the mobilization and how quickly we can all work together in terms of manufacturing. And ultimately, a message we haven't touched on yet is is the looming B word of Brexit. And yeah. where, where does the government sit with that with regards to British manufacturing going forward? Um, mm. It's clear, you know, and, and I know you'll touch on the investment um, funding circles that are available later on, but that's exactly what needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. I almost think as an industry as well, um, we can we have proved, I think, particularly that we can um, do very well without the help of the government. You know, there was a lot of manufacturers that that supplied PPE directly and cut out any sort of government procurement because they just moved really quick. And I think it's also taught a lot of people about, you know, being able to mobilise much quicker. I think it's really important. You mentioned Jenny from Fashion Enter earlier. Jenny always says, and I don't know whether Jenny's in the audience, but one of the things she always says is it, it's about fast response and not fast fashion. And 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 that is, you know, that's certainly what happened with the PPE because it it's not fashion. Fast fashion that makes you think of good disposable throwaway items, whereas fast response is just getting the right product to the people at the right time. Um, do you think uh, that this has actually changed the balance of of power at the at the moment? Do you think we're going through kind of a pivotal time where things are changing, whereas before? orders were pushed out from retailers and brands and the manufacturers just kind of made what they wanted. Do you think now we're going, it's changing and between the customer, the manufacturer and and the brand, um, there's a slight readdressing of, of the balance. What, what are your thoughts on that, Richard? Well, I think uh, I think the, the, the piece that's changing really is that the, the, the brands and the retailers are, in some cases, becoming the manufacturers or, or looking to become the manufacturers to change the way around that we do things. I think we all saw in the, in the news um, just in the last few days, you know, Boohoo opening their own factory um, in, in the Leicester area. And, um, you know, we see that it, it, it works very well in luxury right now, but we don't see it a bit, you know, in other areas of the industry. But there's no reason why it couldn't do. Um, and, and it means that the whole process is more connected. Um, you know, we, we, um, we have a much better opportunity that way to, to sell what we, uh, to, to, um, to make what we sell rather than rather than to sell what we make. Mm. Um, and um, because, because we have control over the whole process. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's what could uh, work in the UK but it's going to take some change to do it and it's going to take some investment to do it and it's going to take a lot of people to get on board with that the idea of doing it that way mm, so you think we'll start i mean obviously yeah it's been announced rick just this week that boohoo are going to open a factory in leicester you think we'll see more retailers following suit with that and opening factories and owning their manufacturing because that's what it used to be like yeah. back yeah. in the day didn't yeah, it yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i can see it i can see it has the potential to work but it, it's going to involve investment. We can't just replicate, you know, we can't just take what we have in, in Southwest Asia and, and, um, and, and put it in the UK and expect it to work. Because, you know, if we take Boohoo as an example, they found that not to work. You know, we, we've, seen the, we've seen the negative press, that which means we know that doesn't work. So let's do something different. You can't expect to, to, to uh, take something that's been done overseas, a model that's been done over there, and put it in the UK and expect it to work. We have to, yeah. we have to think of it in a different way. Exactly. And what we're also seeing is that we're seeing that manufacturers are now becoming the retailer and the brand and just 
yeah, the what you said about Shopify, Scott. Do you your 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 printing system, Scott, particularly, actually could start sort of the power changes more towards the the customer with those, doesn't it? As in, they're the ones that saying what they want rather than buyers sort of deciding what to put in the stores. I think that's a particularly interesting model. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think that really moves into true vertical integration from not only the brands, but the manufacturers and also the CMT operations, you know, the cut, you know, make so operations um, that, that are out there because you can go from, from a small brand, a startup brand, and ultimately, you know, find local manufacturing in the form of Fashion Extra, for example, um, where you could have you know a, a very bespoke line of limited edition clothing, you know online selling it online on the shelf, you know and that that model works extremely well. You know with our system, we could make a one off, we could make a hundred, we could make a thousand. You know that doesn't have any limitations attached to that. Um, I think regarding the technology and in relation to where it is now with the balance of power being shifted. You know, I think the consumer ultimately is is having more of, of the, the control of, of the situation, you know, with the influences that we have on social media, like the fashionistas, you know, just alone, if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo's followers, over 200 million followers, as soon as that guy puts something out there that is remotely uh, appealing to the audience, you know, you can ultimately see how that could go to market very quickly. Let's um, mm. go through the roof. So in order to have print on demand model you know in what we're what corn eats has as a value proposition is really the micro factory you know from going from end to end with a completely dry digital process within a nine meter space from having blank fabric to printed fashion ready fabric um sustainable ethical you know really is a turning point for how we can go about manufacturing um, in the uk uh, again yeah. automated processes and with the workflow uh, you know, we, we can see this within a very small um, footprint of around 50 square metres uh, to go into a, a print line. Mm, interesting. So do you think that um, you mentioned the influences there? I think that's a really good point. Um, do you think that's going to become even more important going forward? Or do you think that yeah, do you think we're going to continue sort of having influences or do you think the age of influence is over? No, I think influencers are going to play a critical role in even a little bit further than that. I think we'll have we'll have localized influencing, you know, where you will we'll take mm. an area or a certain trend that follows a given um, a given industry or a given localized situation. Then I think that could ultimately be the driver as well. Um, you know, I think people want something different. They want something fully customizable that's ethically and sustainably produced, that's bespoke, and they want it now. Um, and, the, and the analog business, the analog production manufacturing model doesn't allow for that that to happen. You know, so when we look at the word fast fashion, you know, the, the word with with a lot of um, tainted similarities around it, you know, we, we could almost say a new age of fast fashion, you know, where things are able to be produced um, instantly and locally, but uh, obviously with the sustainability and the ethical aspects attached to them as well. So you talked about, Scott, there about your system. You could actually do it within, what did you say, an eight or nine metre footprint? Nine metre so print line, yeah. So that becomes like a micro factory, almost like a, a micro brewery, doesn't it? So will we see then more small brands? I mean, what sort of, who, who do you think will start investing in those sorts of micro factories? 
Will that will that be um, you know with the micro factories? Will that will, will the retailers start setting up the micro factories? Do you think, or the manufacturers themselves? Will this be the traditional printing companies that we know, or the smaller brands? Richard, do you want to take that yeah, one? Yeah, I, I, I think it can be it can be any or all of those. Actually, you know the um, that the beauty of of the the micro factory is it, is it goes back to principles that have been used in the automotive industry for years. You know this whole concept of cellular manufacture to be able to to manufacture in in relatively small batch runs um, in, in a small environment. So you might have you know you might have. Um, these cells in a larger in a larger manufacturing business that are set up for different customers. Equally, you might have you know small entrepreneur type businesses that are running a, a micro factory of their own, just like we have in the in the brewery industry, like mm. you, like you uh, like you mentioned. So yeah, I mean I know so, people. So so it, it can be it can be any of those, um, and I think that you just have to have the desire to to and the the uh, the the intention to. To, to really drive for something that's that's almost impossible, which is lot size one. You know, how do we yeah. how do we make profitably um, something that's completely bespoke, something that's, that that has uh, is unique to one customer, um, and that's what you know between Cornet and Gerber, that's what we're driving towards. Yeah, I mean, you're uh, you got hit, you know, a really good point there about, and that's Gerber's speciality, isn't it? you know fit and how do we you know how do we produce that one-off item if it's got to be a different fit for everyone you've got technology that does that haven't you already yeah, that yeah, already the, exists the, the technology is absolutely there we're working with some partners to make it make the the, the overall process work and um, now it's about connecting it together in a in a uh, in a way that works um, so, you know, we, um, if we talk about the factory, you know, the factory starts in the home these days because the consumer now can take an iPhone with, um, you know, with uh, solutions like 3D Look and do a digital scan of their body, you know, and get some key measurements, um, which, can, which can be migrated into a digital process, um, uh, you know, and, and that, that can go all the way through. Um, to to the finished garment. So so if you look at that process as a whole, and we and we show it all the time at our at our innovation centre in New York, you can go from um, I don't want to steal it from you, Scott, but from from iPad to uh, to shopping bag in in a couple of hours. That's that's Scott's catch catchphrase, it is, isn't it? Is, it? Absolutely, well, it was. Yeah, from, coined, from coined by a colleague, but I think it sticks, yeah. yeah. From iPad to shopping bag. So yeah. I know we're slightly preaching to the converted here because the audience we've got are obviously here on this webinar because they're interested in manufacturing locally. But I'd like to hear from both of you. And I'll start with you then, Richard. What do okay. you think are the benefits of making here and making on demand? Okay. Um, well, I think... You know, there's a there's a really subtle benefit, which I think um, it goes back to something that I noticed during you know during the initial parts of, of of the COVID crisis, and you know it's the benefit on the community. I mean, sure we have you know we have a skill shortage, but but uh, you know if we can manage to address that, then you know it means more jobs um, uh, for the uh, you know for for the local people. But also, I think if you look at the industry as a whole, then you know, it's it. Um, we always focus on the on the uh, on the cost per piece, and, and we need to stop doing that um, because there are far more um, costs associated with making garments overseas that aren't built into the cost per piece. 
Yeah, um, so true. Yeah, and and so we need to think about you know the reduction, and let's think about this. You know, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the people in the industry are now thinking about sustainability. Well, how often you know in in the development process of any garment do we take three, four, five plane trips across to yep. Bangladesh or Cambodia or wherever, wherever, to um, to go for fit sessions or to meet with suppliers and so on. And and I think you know we are forgetting about that impact. Um, yeah. uh, and when you build in those uh, those extra costs, then actually it can be cost effective to manufacture in the UK. And particularly yeah. if you're looking at the on-demand process, because there's less waste. Um, you know that there are the, the the time to market can be improved as well. So you can really you can really think about um, selling everything that you make rather than selling a whole a whole bunch of stuff and a lot of it, as Scott would say, go to landfill. And you worked in the car industry at one point as well, didn't you? And I think the car industry are way ahead of textiles in terms of making on demand. Yeah, I, I started in the car industry 20 years ago. And, and 20 years ago, you know, the um, up at Nissan in Sunderland, they have their suppliers, um, you know, within a 10 mile radius. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, that's really key for them because there's less transportation, less waste, that you can react to, to problems and issues a lot faster. Um, and so it's it, um, this whole idea of of, uh, of of kaizen and continuous development comes from uh, comes from the the, uh, the brand from from Nissan as a brand. They they help to develop their suppliers, and I think that's something that's missing in our industry today. You know, we're yeah. not working together. It's 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 uh, there's a lot of this kind of well, you know, there's a tech pack, go and make it. Um, yeah. Whereas you know, how do we you know how do we help? How do we help the people that are making the products to make them better and, and, and more efficiently? That's something that we could really work on. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I know some of the UK textile brands, Burberry, for instance, have started introducing more of the kind of lean manufacturing model that that the car industry have. But we need to see a lot more of that, don't we? So, yeah, I mean, Scott, I remember when we were having a conversation before this, you had your rule of thirds, which was a really good illustration of how... Um, when you make overseas rather than locally, it's more wasteful. Do you want to give that example? Yeah, I'm sure, you know, like you say, you've purchased the converted. A lot of people on this uh, this webinar will understand this very well, but it's, you know, it's it's important to understand the actual costs of goods sold rather than the, the costs of goods made and a single item made. You know, 30% of what we put on the shelf today is never sold Another 30% is either heavily discounted or returned um, because there is no real, you know, the sizing element of it, which we'll touch on with the on-demand model, it's very important to understand, you know, the meaning that the actual sell-through and the, the final exit margin of the cost of goods sold is way, way higher yeah. than what it is to make one single item. Um, so I think the, you know, the on-demand model, as, as Richard touched on, the capsule model worked very well. You know, for a brand to have a design team go to London, you know, an hour or two hours or whatever it is to sit for a couple of other hours and to walk away with a final sample strike off, I think is incredibly appealing. You know, you, you've got that time to market advantage. You've got the the rolling lines that you could produce. You don't have to go seasonal, um, you know, and, and all coupled with the sustainability and ethical manufacturing. Um, I think it's a win-win. So, yeah, we don't even touch on the the analog, but even the digital processes now for natural fibers that are used, um, the the amount of water that's consumed in those processes, yeah. 
Especially in printing. I mean, traditional the traditional printing model versus the some of the, the digital that you can do, you know, probably zillions of me of meters of fabric that are printed that are either never used or go to garments and how many how much water was it you said is used traditionally to make each roll of fabric it's, it's quite well a lot, from the, the larger manufacturers and the dye houses certainly i've visited uh, throughout the last 12 years you know the the minimum piece run would be around fifteen thousand pieces you know if you look at the analog process uh, anything from between 40 to 50 liters is is you consumed per per meter um so you know you you're up to three quarters of a million liters just really to do a, a production run of a, of a certain mm. line um that's water but it's also then pumped out as polluted water at the end so yeah i mean even these microscopical changes and these these steps that we can make towards sustainability is uh, is, is really incremental but you've now got, because I remember when we met at the printing show last year, the system that you were showing actually uses no water at all, does it, to do digital printing? Yes. So Pit Cornique, the Cornique Presto is a, is a fully digitalized, um, dry digital process. So we're printing using you know, no water in the printing process. Um, and, and that gives us the flexibility of having multiple fabrics, you know, whereas in the traditional sense of, of cotton, you know, you have to either using a reactive process or a digital reactive process which still requires all the steaming and the washing and the drying and the post-treatment also the pre-treatment we're uh, we're able to offer a full printing line end-to-end as a single step process and that's cotton polyester blends so the flexibility really gives us the you know to, to be able to produce all those different fabric compositions in in the nine meter printing line is there anyone in the uk with that system yet there are individuals in the UK which are working within the retail sector. Yeah, I mean, we're working on projects at the moment. And uh, I think on the, on the next webinar, we will be able to, to give some very clear indications as to what our, uh, our plans are moving forward with the UK. But we, we strongly believe that there is a, a huge opportunity now for partial reshoring, in some cases a full nearshoring, um, for, for brands and manufacturers as, uh, to move back to the UK. Mm, brilliant. So the, the on-demand um, manufacturing that we're talking about here, um, we talked about the car industry, but Richard, I know you've also um, been involved in the furniture industry, haven't you? How can we le learn some of the things from the furniture industry to bring that into textiles as well? Okay, well, I, you know, in, in the same way, same way as the fashion industry, the furniture industry is now driven by the consumer needing choice or requiring choice and wanting, wanting the best price point um, and wanting it fast, you know? So um, so because they're, they're big lumps, if you like, they've had to manufacture in the UK. So so I think something like um, 80 to 90% now of all furniture that's consumed in the UK is made in the UK, and which is which is significant. Even, yeah. brands, even brands like Ikea that everybody assumes is made overseas isn't, it's made in the UK. Um, and um, and so these companies have had to learn to be a bit more agile. You know, furniture has been a very traditional business, um, but I would say in some ways they're a little bit now ahead on the digital transformation than maybe the fashion industry. Um, embracing some of this, uh, you know, some of the technology that we talk about, um, they they have absolutely um, had to master lot size one because. You know, people buy, people are now not even buying a matching chair and sofa. You know, they're buying three different pieces of furniture that, that all kind of go together in a room, but, but are, are subtly different. 
So, um, so yeah, they, they've had to work on it hard. And so that's where, you know, we've seen some of our technology being in, involved in, in really, uh, really looking at this, this uh, made to order or made on demand scenario. Because mm. the customer at the end of the day wants more choice now, yes. don't they? I mean, that's yeah. what we what's what we know. Scott, do you think there's any other industries that that we could learn from aside from furniture and the car industry? Well, I think I mean e-commerce. You know, is, is really driving the the element that what we can do now with the automation, the workflow into fashion. So I think we concentrate on where we are right now in the mobilization of brands moving online, both big and small. Um, I think that gives us a, a huge opportunity to, to sort of you know, disrupt the supply chain of old. Um, and I think at the moment we're seeing what's what I would coin as a race of face. You know, we're, we're looking at the brands who are really trying to get in front of the sustainability and the ethical manufacturing elements. And you know, because the consumer ultimately is, is in the driving seat with those influencers, you know, it's them that, that really the brands need to attune themselves to from, a, from an emotional point of view, you know, an emotive point of view, um, because ultimately 73% of the millennials, it's saying that they, they would be willing to pay more for sustainability. Um, and, and that does give us the, the huge um, inflection of being able to produce locally and bring it back to the UK. That is mm. I can see that we've already got a lot of people asking in the chat and bringing up the question of skills. Now, um, I think that is that is something we, you know, the, obviously the issue is that there's, we don't have as big a skilled workforce here as we as we would need. Um, but I think what's interesting about your about this more on demand model is that because you're only making the amount of products you need and you're selling, like with your example of thirds, Scott, if you're actually only selling two thirds and half of that is at markdown, so maybe really you can only sell 50% truly of every product you make, we only actually need to make half as much, don't we? So we'd, we don't need as many as many staff, as many skilled workers if everything is made to order. I mean, the furniture industry make it work. How do they make it work with, with skilled staff, Richard? Um, I think, uh, you know, they, they are also in a period of change, but what they're beginning to do now is is to to really think about how they're going to bring the skills on. They have the same problems as anybody else, you know, sewing particularly is a, is a big, big issue, you know, finding skilled people to sew. But but I think what, what a lot of these industries are realising, and, and again, I'll go back to the automotive industry, they learnt it many, many years ago, is that you have to make the workplace really a, a really exciting place to be. Yeah. Um, and And I think, you know, right now, um, who from school comes out and goes? I want to go into the textile industry. There's, there's you know, the, there are some crazy, some crazy people like we all are that have done it, right? <laughs> but, um, but, but who makes that decision to begin with? You know, they all want to go work for Facebook because they think it's, you know, really, yeah. a, re a really cool place to work. Um, I once got shot down on Twitter a few years ago when I said that we need to make textile. Um, factories more like Google and if manufacturers at least had a decent coffee machine in their factories rather than those those polystyrene cup dispensing uh, machines and they'd get attract more young people and someone called me shallow but I do think it, it is true it's what you're saying there isn't it yeah. Richard? Yeah you know <laughs> absolutely and um, you know the, the, so the sooner we realise that the better you know that they we've got to find some way of attracting people in you know it's it's um, we can't sit back and go oh there's no people you know, and then we need to think about how do, how do manufacturers and brands and retailers collaborate in order to um, to bring people into, yeah. into the industry. Um, 
you know, manufacturing is really exciting. It's just, it's just it doesn't have that perception right now. Um, mm. But I think if you can go away from the model of having, you know, one person sat at one sewing machine all day, every day, to, to having people that rotate around different jobs, and, and um, then it could be a really, uh, a really interesting concept. And, and as I yeah. say, that's, that's something that I, I, I experienced in the, automotive, in the automotive industry years ago. So, so it can absolutely work. Um, mm. We just need to embrace it. Yeah, definitely. So, Scott, your factory of the future, your micro factory that you were talking about, how far off is that? Do you think in 10 years' time we will start to see lots and lots of these micro factories here in the UK? I mean, I already know of a you know, few that are springing up making knitwear on demand, for instance. One of our Make It British members does just that. Do you think that that is the way we are going and, and how far off is that? I, I strongly believe that, yeah, with with support, you know, in in terms of investment and infrastructure, that it that it's more than feasible and conceivable to see that that could be the future. You know, in the US, it, there is a huge um, opportunity and there is a huge growth at the moment for the micro factory. You know, bringing it into downtown LA, for example. You know, there's no reason why we couldn't do the same in London and and many of the hotspots in the UK with the same kind of infrastructure. It needs a very very small footprint. It's sustainable, um, and and as we we keep going back to reference, but there is there's someone in the in London uh, actually manufacturing end to end at the moment in a in a in an ecosystem that she has where you know the staff and the machinists all get paid above minimum wage. Um, it's end to end producing up to sort of fifteen thousand pieces a, a week. So you know the, you could see how all of a sudden it could become very scalable in the UK. Mm. Uh, with, with our system specifically, you know, within a nine meter printing lens, as I said before, it's going from that sketch pad to shopping bag idea of being able to design, print, cut and sew. And I think from what we were discussing earlier about the, um, you know, the, the, the sexiness or whatever of the, the actual production process, you know, being, being ultimately involved in that, you know, having something that's, that, that is born from an idea. And then an hour or two later, it's actually something that you're wearing. Um, it is incredible innovation. Mm. I just, you know, I can see that we also also got quite a few people on here who work do work in education. Um, how do we? Um, we've talked about you know, involving young people and making factories more in- exciting. But what, how do we educate people? And and how can our colleges? Because at the moment we're churning out a lot of designers. Richard, what are your thoughts about how we can? get the universities to get more involved in this? Is it for them to have these micro factories on site in the unis? Well, possibly, um, or, or if not, then, you know, um, certainly we've, we've taken a big step in having our, our micro factory set up together with Cornet. you know, it's a whole system over in New York. I think if we can replicate that more around the world, um, then, you know, then we can, um, we, can, we can engage with the universities and really educate on what the, what the art of the possible could be. Um, you know, and, and the technology becomes more and more affordable and um, yeah, they, they could become centers of excellence. Um, there's no reason, you know, universities do invest in, um, in equipment and, and, and why shouldn't that, that not be the starting point? That should become the kind of, I hate to say it, but the new normal, you know? We, we all talk about what, what is the new normal coming out of COVID? Well, that could be the new normal for the fashion industry that this is the way to manufacture now and this is the way we're taught to manufacture. Um, uh, and um, you know, really sharing best what we see as best practice in order to uh, to stimulate the UK market. Yeah, brilliant. 
Um, Scott, have you got anything else you want to add there before we go to the Q&A? Yeah, when you mentioned, you know, touching on the university aspect, it, it's it's important to remember how, how many hundreds of graduate designers that the UK produces every year, you know, and those designers ultimately go on to have wonderful careers. They could be head buyers, they could be sustainability ambassadors, they, you know, they could be product development directors. So, you know, looking at the ecosystem in the UK, looking at Make It British, uh, you know, I think that that's a, a really good, you know, avenue to pursue in terms of grassroots and, and offering the technology, um, you know, giving access to that technology and education around that, because no doubt the the face of fashion in the future will, will hugely depend on how things are designed you know, going forward and what fabrics are used, you know, whether it be organic cotton or recyclable polyesters and how the design element ultimately translates into the, uh, the final product. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Can, I, can I just make a point there actually because it's something just to follow up on what Scott said you know the um, the bit that we miss sometimes is that um, this new technology also brings opportunity you know it brings an opportunity to to make different garments or different furniture or different car seats you know all those industries can be impacted and and you know this this is to be able to sell something that's not being sold today um, and um, you know, so if we carry on in the, in, the, in the same way we have done in the past, then the business opportunity is not there. So it's really, it's really about analysing what the new technology brings in terms of business opportunity. Um, yeah. and, and that, I think, will be the catalyst for change. And ultimately, what, what, you know, what are the brands and what is everyone else? It's value creation. You know, we, we have to get back to that, that kind of model and that focus to create value. Mm, definitely. So on that note, then, should we go over to our Q&A? Because that was fantastic, guys. I think that is um, exactly what we wanted to talk about. Um, we've, I can see we've got loads of questions. Oh, and of I'm, questions. I'm sure some people <laughs> have only earmarked an hour here. I was probably overambitious <laughs> thinking we would, this would only take an hour um, because we've got a lot of questions. So sh shall I um, kick off with the first one? So it doesn't say who it who it's for. So I'm going to go to, to uh, you first on this one, Scott. It's from Stanley Russell from App Fabrics. And Stanley asks, in light of the response by the industry to the requirements for PPE, should the government not ensure that a proportion of all tender work, not only PPE, be manufactured in the UK? In a number of European countries, there are respective tenders are only issued to companies within that country, unlike the UK, who normally go for the cheapest option, wherever it comes from. I wholeheartedly, uh, yeah, back that question. What are your thoughts on Scott? How, what should we make, how can we make the government put their tent, a certain percentage of tenders to the UK? I, I, think, I think it's almost been apparent to the government themselves. It's, it's highlighted an open Pandora's box. You know, at the end of the day, we were in such short supply. They looked around and they realized, oh, we don't have UK manufacturing anywhere near to the capabilities that we thought we did. Um, and that's been proven in, in sort of the last couple of months when there has been the huge pivot and shift towards the, the investment, you know, in, internally for UK manufacturing. And we've seen it firsthand, you know, again, some of the factories I visited recently in, in the UK, you know, that have mobilized so quickly um, in order to facilitate the demand. Um, I think that will continue, no doubt. Um, and I think it also helps us to accelerate and it's a segue, a natural segue to bring it back into the fashion and the home decor and the interior market, because it just highlights, you know, what we do have on our doorstep 
Mm. And I, I do strongly believe the government will need to follow through on their promises for PPE going forward. I actually think it was the other way around. Rather than the government realising they didn't have the manufacturing base that they thought we, they did, we actually do have more of a manufacturing base than they realised we had. But the problem was because they've distanced themselves from it for so long, they weren't aware of what we really did have right under their noses. So, I mean, certainly my experience with the whole PPE situation, they approached the biggest companies with names that they'd heard of, like Aston Martin and Burberry, and asked them to make to do CMT work, which, you know, we know we've got thousands of CMT manufacturers that could have made those gowns, but instead they reached out to car manufacturers. But that's that's for a whole nother. This is a positive uh this is a positive talk. Richard, have you got anything else you think you can add about how the government can um, can kind of back the industry here? Well, I think you know they need. We need to take some lessons from from what's happening in other countries in Europe. You know, and the government needs to step up and um, and help help companies in some way, shape, or form invest in technology to to uh, to be able to adopt this kind of approach. Um, you know, and the only and the only thing we can do is to continue to lobby the government to. Uh, to uh, to try and achieve that, um, yeah. you know, as as, a, as an industry, we are quite a powerful collaborative. But I don't think we've we've really got together yet to um, to make those those things happen. I think you're absolutely right that um, we have more manufacturing than the government even realised, and and we saw change. You know, we saw companies changing from making um, you know car seats or furniture to making um, you know PPE uh, during the during the the height of the. Uh, of the pandemic even though and even now actually continuing to do so um mm. so you know um I, I i wholeheartedly agree that um that we have um, a, a great industry um we just need to make sure that industry gets a bit a little bit more support yeah definitely um great question here from melise jones she says i work in tech specializing in digital transformation and there's never been a better time to make it british obviously i agree with that as well melise um but she's asked our panelists what's the best way for tech to collaborate with the industry to be able to help who wants to answer that one first i think richard has you know with regards to the softwares and automation processes it's um, it's a wonderful yeah how can tech and time. the textile industry particularly the textile manufacturing industry link more closely together because the two areas are not always aligned are they no uh, you're absolutely right i think um you know it's it's about uh, embracing digital and um you know the um we we see a digital workflow right right the way throughout the industry now or we have the potential for that um and uh, you know, bringing new people into the industry that have the, the kind of technology background will be a real help. Um, so you know, we kind of go back to a people thing. Um, you know, we don't have to we don't have to have people that are um, just just totally non knowledgeable on how to make garments. We also need to have people that are knowledgeable on how to how to streamline industry. Um, yeah. And so I think that's really the key. It's about the blend of both. Um, and that's the only way that we're going to make this this digital transformation. Mm, yeah, I think. Did you have anything else to add oh, on it's, that, it's Scott, about be, technology? It's, it's a very exciting, um, you know, birth. I think of where we we've been comparing industries that have adopted that digital model on both the front and the back end, like the music industry, like the book industry, and this is something where the the heaviness of the back end of that, the analog processes. Uh, you know, th this is going to be a very exciting, exciting time for tech, and uh, you know, moving forward on that one. And we already have that now on the front side with 
with digital technology in terms of manufacturing the printing side of things and um, being able to sell online. Um, but I think, yeah, that from a manufacturing point of view with PLM, cloud-based um, end-to-end workflow, it's, it's extremely exciting. For people that might not know, what's PLM? What's that? Ac- we have a lot of acronyms in our industry. Yeah. What yeah. does PLM stand for so for those that might not know? PLM is product lifecycle management. So that's about, uh, it's a piece of technology which allows you to uh, to connect the dots between you and the manufacturing base. So so it's where you you, um, you you go from design all the way through to manufacture and store all the information um, that you need along the way. So effectively, it's a digital tech pack. Um, but can also um, go right the way throughout the manufacturing base, where you can you can uh, manage RFQs, time you know you can manage the the workflows, um, and um, and make sure that um, that the, uh, the 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 the, t- the timing that you have around a collection is is well managed. Um, so that's what PLM does for you, um, and it's and it's a piece of software that can sit in the cloud and be everywhere that you need to be, including with your manufacturers. Brilliant, well explained. Uh, I've got a, Scott, a question for you here, probably first, Scott, from Sandra Walker, who's asked, um, the machinery must cost a lot for the digital printing. So what sort of investment would someone be looking at? Um, is that is that's probably a how long is a piece of string yeah, question? Yeah, absolutely. It? It's, um, it's a question of what, what really you are able to consolidate in terms of investment. And, um, you know, when you look at the printing line, if you, when you look at the typical die house and being able to mobilize something that is end to end in under six minutes, you know, obviously that comes with a certain innovative uh, pricing in investment structure to it. But you know, I think with the idea of the UK supporting UK manufacturing and, um, you know, we, we work very closely with larger manufacturers in terms of fulfillment hubs. So it gives the ability, as, as Richard mentioned on the university aspect of things, being able to, to give the opportunity for this technology, um, both at grassroots, but also in, in commercial manufacturing, uh, smaller volumes and able to, to facilitate a growth model that then you know, you could look at investing um, in your own infrastructure thereafter. But, um, yeah, I mean... I think a way of looking at this, though, is not how much does the technology cost, but how much money does it save you in the long run in terms of other costs. And I think that is, yes, technology is expensive, and maybe that is what's holding a lot of people back because, wow, oh, my God, I might have to invest half a million pounds in the tech. However, when you think of the, the... how much it it you know saves you in the long run in terms of all of that stock that is made that goes into waste and it comes back to this cost price versus real price discussion mm. again doesn't it you know you might have to invest more upfront because you're making it in the UK because you're using more technology but actually you save more in the long run and that's I suppose a saving in terms of not only hard cash but in terms of the environment as well because we haven't yeah, really touched so much on sustainability yet but this is a more sustainable model isn't it yes and that translates you know ultimately in, in the gross margin you're able to uh, to produce you know when you do move and mobilize online as well but yeah you need to look at all the costs involved setting up an operation that, that you know completely allows you to do an end, end-to-end workflow Mm. I think you also need to look at what business opportunity does it bring you. It's not just what it saves you, but it's also what it makes you. You know, if you if you think about the, having the opportunity of being able to do personalised garments, you know, so not just not just personalised print, but styles as well. You know, so if you you know we'll we'll cover it in, in one of the latest later sessions, but. 
You know, if you if you if you connect together the technology, so through um, Gerber, through to Cornet, back to Gerber, to to actually making the garment, then um, everything can be personalised. And um, and and what does that bring? Well, you know, the consumer is prepared to pay more for that. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it in many places. You know, I think. I think the biggest example was Nike when they started doing their, their personalized trainers, you know, and, and people are prepared to pay a lot more to have something that's, that's just made for them. So, um, so, so if we can capitalize on that, um, then, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's where the power comes. So yes, yes, the technology is going to be a chunk of money, right? There's no question about that. And it's not going to be for everybody, but there are many different areas you can start that digital journey um, maybe with a vision to have the full end-to-end -end process, but but start by putting the first baby steps in there. If if you know if you're not in a position to kind of make a major investment right now, um, but think about where the future is going and be ready to put all the other steps in place as you grow as a business. Yeah. And I think that leads on quite to the next question, which is from Laura Stevens. I hope we're going to have a chance to get through all these questions. I can see billions of them coming through. It's great discussion, chap. So it's, it's just as well we're doing a second, uh, a second version and third version of this. But um, Laura Stevens has said, I believe in working ethically and transparently, but there is definitely a hard balance between doing this and offers custom, offering customers affordable prices. How do we overcome this? It appears that more people want to shop ethically, which I, I believe is also true, but they still head straight to Primark and cheap retailers. And I'm sorry if there's anyone from Primark on this call. They head to low cost retailers who still have a lot to do actually to, to become ethical. So who wants to... Um, to answer that one, that's a bit of a hot potato then. How do we get the consumer to appreciate this? I mean, I think part of that has been answered by the fact that if you can make them something bespoke, they value it yeah. more. But yeah. I, I think the habits are changing, Kate. You know, I think, um, you know, if you look at the consumer of today, you know, I have a 21-year-old daughter, right? And, um, you know, when I think about the way she shops today, it's different to, you know, to, to, to what I anticipated for sure. You know, we, we see parcels coming through the door every day from, from low-cost retailers, but but equally, she teams that up with quality quality garments that are made in the UK um, that, are, that are timeless and going to last. Um, so there is this kind of shift. And actually, do you know what? I think out of all the things that have happened with COVID, then it's, it's made us realise a little bit that, you know, some sometimes there are things that we buy that we don't necessarily need. You know, we just we just want. Um, and and it's become habitual sometimes, you know. So so I think um, maybe maybe here is the, here is the time to have a shift where um, you know the, the price point goes up again, um, and and the consumer starts buying things that are more personal to them, of better quality, and made in the UK. Mm, I think that's a really good point. People, if people. Um, if something is bespoke, then they may pay a bit more because we, we know from our own research and make it British. Yes, some people will pay a little bit more. And there's been surveys done that say that people will pay up to like 10, 20 percent more for something if it's got a made in the UK label. But a lot of people won't. A lot of people put design at the top and, and price. But if the design's great, they will pay a bit more. And I think if there's a bespoke design, then they'll most definitely pay a bit more. I think it's fair to say that we're not going to bring all manufacturing back into the UK of all the garments that are consumed in the UK. That, that's not that's not the challenge. Well, I suppose it could be the challenge, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. But um, to bring a proportion back is, I think, what we're talking about here. And how yeah. do we do that? You know, that's that's really the messaging that we have here. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I can see there's lots of interest in the micro factory. Um, Catherine O'Driscoll. Hello, Kathy. How are you? She has asked, can we have a follow up session to view the micro factory in New York? Kathy, you have read our minds because we are going to be doing that on either the next session, which will be at the end of September, hopefully, eh, Scott, or the one after that. So, Absolutely, um, yes. Yeah, so that we definitely want everyone to be able to see the micro factory that's happening in the yeah, States. Yeah, it's very much a, a visual thing. It needs to be done for sure. It's incredible uh, achievement to have a, a micro factory in the 90th floor story, is it, Richard? No, it's not as high as that. But it's, it's, downtown it's, it's, Manhattan. It's, yeah, it's downtown Manhattan, um, you know, in the clothing district. Um, yeah, at, at the top top of the top of the building on the um, penthouse, if you like, and um, you know it's 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 an incredible facility. So um, so yeah, we you know we think we should show that to everybody. That's why we call it in, the innovation centre because it really shows how companies can innovate in the future. Um, so um, yeah, open to anybody that wants to come and visit as well. Although I know it's a little challenging at the minute. So we've got a few more questions. Shall we carry on? Is everyone are you happy to carry on, boys? For sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. We've got a question from Sue Blacker here. Hello, Sue from Blacker Yarns. Um, surely we need some larger enterprises like weavers, spinners, and printers to use IT to make these smaller minimum order quantities. Um, and we need them to be willing to work with smaller customers. That's a really good point, actually, because that is one of the criticisms we get a lot, um, we hear a lot, um, is that a lot of the big manufacturers are only willing to do big quantities. But actually, what you're offering here gives manufacturers more of a, an option to make in smaller quantities, doesn't it? Who wants to address that question first, as in how can we encourage the larger enterprises to make smaller quantities? Well, I think that, the, you know, all of the larger um, organisations are trying to become leaner and more agile. And, you know, their time to market, they identify that having a rolling line um, product portfolio addresses the higher margin. So I think that it's you know it's, it's a natural um, orientation towards that sort of sort of model. You know, and we're able to produce um, on demand and, and give the customer exactly the, the choice. And going back to the question earlier about people looking solely based on price, you know, we're in the era of true self-expression and, and being able to wear a dress that no one else will have, being able to wear a shirt no one else will have is I think in itself um, a, a higher perceived value. So, mm. you know, I think with our technology combined, you know, there are um, technologies which you can you can add on both front and back ends to this. Um, but ultimately, it is giving a, a much much broader, unlimited choice if you look at it because it's from a digital point of view. Yeah, Richard, have you got anything else to add yeah, to that? I, I, how well, you think? I'd, I'd agree. I see, I see, you know, I see it um, really developing already in team sports, for example, you know, the um, and and kind of um, small groups. I, you know, I, I, I enjoy a bit of cycling and, um, you know, there are some brands now that are looking at, um, you know, team shirts and things like that just for, for small cycling groups. And, and I think um, so. So we really have, um, you know, this kind of this kind of business that's that's derived from make a few. Um, but I think if you look at the industry as a whole, you know, then, um, you know, we've gone, we've gone from having four, four main seasons now to having lots of capsule collections and so on. And, and um, as Scott was saying earlier, you know, it, the industry has changed, you know, we, we, we no longer have this, uh, this scenario where, where, you know, we develop four, four seasons for the year or, or, or sometimes less. 
Um, so so we, we can think of it in a different way. And, and, mm. and really, I'll go back to what we said before, you know, we, um, we make what we sell now or we should make what we sell. Yeah. And I think to add to that as well, I think because the industry is changing, what the customer is demanding is changing, manufacturers are going to have to change. And those that are able to change and, and start thinking in smaller quantities um, closer to the season without long long lead times are the ones, those those that adapt will be the ones that will survive. I certainly think we'll see yeah. more of that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about that doubt. Look at, look at other industries, for example, you know, go look at engineering, right? So somebody developed a digital printer. So now there's dozens of companies that are digitally printing components, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's the same, same scenario. We could have dozens of companies that are digitally printing fabric and then, uh, you know, automatically cutting out those pieces um, and, then, yeah. and then very quickly sewing and making up garments and dispatching to the customer. Mm. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we'll get um, automated sewing? Because I know a lot, again, a lot of people are asking questions about skills. How far off are we? Um, and maybe it's not quite your area, but th there are things like SewBot with automatic sewing. And I know there have been attempts at automatically, you know, using robots to make T-shirts. Do you think that's realistic or do you think we're always going to need people sat at machines? I, I think, I think um, we are always going to need the people because, you know, as, as we go more personalised, actually, we still need people to sew because everything is going to be mm. different and it's almost impossible to automate that task. You know, I think, but what you can do in a, in a, in a factory is automate as many of the, of the tasks as you possibly can and use the people where they are most needed. Um, so, you know, so rather than having a factory where you've got dozens of people cutting fabric or, you know, um, then, then migrate those off and migrate those people and teach them how to sew. Um, and, and then it means you can increase your capacity. Um, yeah. and I think that's the, that's the only way forward. You will never get away from needing people in a manufacturing process. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, people also need jobs. Let's not forget that. So, um, you know, it's just how we deploy those people, but you know, I'll go back to something I said before. Let's, let's, um, let's make those people multitasking, um, and give them other roles as well as just sewing. Um, in order that they don't kind of get bored at doing what they're doing. Yeah. Someone's asked a question. Patricia Shea has asked, Scott, do Spoonflower use Cornet machines? Yes, they do. Yes. I mean, Spoonflower was one of the companies that was uh, enabled to in embrace the adverse effects of COVID and um, really accelerate, you know, they, the business grew, you know, exponentially during that period um, of on-demand and, you know, using the model that they have really, which was built on the fact that, that a customer would have a turnaround time of within sort of 48 hours with something being produced. You know, they, had, they were faced with a very um, you know, interesting choice to make, you know, whether they, they took on a lot more customers and had a longer lead time or whether they scaled up um, in, a, in order to meet that demand. And, and they certainly did that. Um, and that's one of the, uh, yeah, the true efforts from from that US company, but also they're very strong in Europe as well with the on-demand, um, you know, printed customized fabrics. Brilliant. Uh, Scott Concannon has asked, what are the leading UK organizations, trade associations that we could research, join or lobby to enable collaboration? Um, I I'm going to answer, answer that question because I've, Sean, I mean, one of the, one of the issues is that as an industry, we are quite, 
disparate. There's so many different organisations. We've got the British Fashion Council. We've got the UK Fashion and Textile Association, which I'm on the board of. Um, there's a fantastic organisation called Fashion Roundtable, who do, do a lot of lobbying. They um, are secretariats for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion. But I think Sean's question there does kind of hit the nail on the head that as an industry, we're still not, still not totally joined up in that there are quite a few organisations. Um, my personal opinion on that is you can't do, I mean, you can do worse than just directly lobbying your local MP. If you feel strongly about something in regarding to their procurement of PPE or any other sorts of products. If you write to your local MP, and this was a tip that Tamara from who heads up Fashion Roundtable told me, if you write to your local MP, they have to do something about it. They have to come back to you. And actually, I think one of the issues we have as the fashion industry is that we're not vocal enough. We're all too busy getting on, you know, creating beautiful products and 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 making things rather than actually getting involved in in things like politics. But it's again, you know, something that that does need to be addressed. Do either of you have have any thoughts on that in particular about how we can kind of come together more as an industry? Well, good question. Um, I, I, to be honest, Kate, I'm not sure I have the answers. I think you, you know you're probably the best placed on that one. But um, <laughs> but I think um, you know continue to use the organisations that you're working with today. And um, yeah, I know some of them are already you know at quite high levels in in um, in discussing uh, the industry with government, and um, and will continue to do so. And, and the one thing that's for sure is. The situation that we've been in with COVID has elevated the um, the profile of the industry. With uh, you know, with those guys, they understand that that the industry is there now, um, and and now just need to make this recognition uh, as to what's what the capabilities are, and um, and help to bring um, to bring business back to all those all those factories that are currently in the UK and the ones that are yet to come. Yeah, and the ones that are yet to come. Mm. I love that. I think on that note. Um, we're kind of there, really. I've answered. There's, there's a few questions. If you've had a question and it's gone unanswered, then I will um, try to pick it up with you afterwards. I'll send your questions to these guys. Mm. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for such a fantastic and really, and I hope that everyone found it inspiring um, discussion today. I had mentioned at the beginning about funding, and there is currently an Innovate UK round of funding it's a you could it's open until i think sometime in september um emily or michelle on my team is going to put the link to apply for the grant it's quite a lot of money there, there's the link that's just gone in there now and i will also send it round um in the email that follows this this webinar now so that people have got it because particularly if you're a manufacturer or you like the sound of setting up your own micro factory in the UK, that Innovate UK grant um, should be one to go for. It's not just the textile industry, but let's see the money go to the textile industry um, rather than some of those other industries that sometimes shout louder than us, as we've actually said. Um, so as I said on the beginning uh, of the of the call, of the, we are going to be running another one of these, which is going to be part of our Make It British Live virtual event, which is happening on the 24th and 25th of September. Um, details about that will be going out very soon. So make sure you're on our mailing list. So by joining this call today, um, we'll make sure you get the information. Um, 
before you go, chaps, if you if there's one thing that both of you want everyone to take away from uh, our call today, what would it be? And I'm going to go over to you first, Richard. Okay. What's the one thing that people should do? How can we future-proof the UK textile industry? Okay, well, just one thing to point out. I've seen a lot of questions on the, on the chat just saying, can you tell us more about the tech, right? More about the technology. So... So I think far away. Yeah, I think the, pr- the the promise from us is there's more to come. You know, we'll explain more about how it all works and how it all fits together and how Cornic, together with Gerber, you know, makes that microfactory. So so kind of stay tuned on that one. Um, and um, you know, the the the, uh, the takeaway for me is there's been a lot of passion also on the chat. So so keep that coming because that's what's going to make the the industry great. And um, you know, we look forward to working with all of you. Brilliant. And Scott? Yeah, I echo Richard's words there. I think there is a lot to come. Um, you know, something in the UK in the not too distant future is, is certainly something that we're all striving towards and uh, will give a lot of opportunity for brands, designers and uh, manufacturers to see it live and up close to see that it actually does work. Um, soundbite for me would be this is about choice, not compromise. You know, we, we, we're trying to enable the market to have a, a much, much wider variety of choice in a sustainable and you know ethical way of producing um and and that is ultimately uh, what this, this technology can provide so brilliant fantastic so everyone needs to join us uh, at the next one to make sure they actually see the technology in action we'll have a behind the scenes of that won't we yes we will brilliant well thank you very much everyone for joining me today thank you scott thank you thank everyone you, richard You're welcome. You've been amazing. Um, thank you, everyone, for your... I, di- I was wondering whether everyone was even going to write anything in the chat, and I reckon we've had about 5,000 comments in this there, so I'm going to look forward to reading that yeah. all later. And um, make sure when you leave the call, you fill in a very short survey that you'll get directed to when you leave, just asking us how you found it, what you found interesting, and what you want to hear from us going forward. Right, thank you very much. Thank you, chat. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the make it british podcast i make an episode every tuesday plus there's bonus episodes occasionally so make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app and if you're looking to find british made brands or uk manufacturers check out the directory on the make it british website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory thank you for listening bye bye